0: Ahoy, welcome in to another exciting episode of Not Allowed to Die, your podcast about mental health, where I, Dan Megler, social worker and life enthusiast, answer your questions about mental health and talk about dilemmas that I'm seeing in my practice as both a school social worker and a therapist in private practice. Alongside me, as always, is Mariska, a three-toothed Patterdale Terrier. And Mariska is recovering from a bit of a tough week. My family and I went out of town for three days and she was not invited and that hurts uh, her but she's an older lady and we know she doesn't like to get out of her routine and believe it or not there are a lot of public accommodations that didn't do not welcome Three Tooth Patterdale Terriers so we know that that's their ignorance and yet she's still disappointed but she's happy that we're back and she's resting comfortably so it was supposed to be a vacation an ending of the summer thing I go back to work on Monday um little sooner, a week ahead of the the students at the high school. And so we decided to go up to the Mall of America. So from Chicago to Minneapolis, it's about six and a half hours, and I'd never been there. And we wanted to take the kids to an amusement park. And when you think to yourself, amusement park with air conditioning and uh, no waiting in the hot sun sweating, that sounds like a winner to me. So we went. And we had a good experience. Kids took a break from the rides and we're gonna do some miniature golf but wanted to get some back-to-school clothes hit up the Old Navy enjoyed a some fast fashion my kids love Wetzel's pretzels so got some of those and I had passed by a caribou coffee which they don't seem to have in the Chicago area very anymore so I said to my wife you know what you and the kids you eat the Wetzel's pretzels and I'm gonna walk it's probably about 200 yards away to caribou coffee and get myself a delicious caffeinated beverage something cool for the the summer day despite the air conditioning and i was was walking i could hear somebody shouting like a little kid was maybe running away from their parent you know that kind of vibe that you get and it was kind of a screaming i get but i didn't know what the tenor of it was and then i heard the shouting and just as i'm a few steps away from the caribou coffee i heard the shooting BAM! 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 Immediately, everyone started to sprint away. And all I could think of was, my wife and kids, can I get back to them? But I knew that they were a couple hundred yards away, and I wasn't going to be able to get back to them. And so people were being encouraged to run into stores. And so I went into an Ever Eve, and I'd never been in one before. Very nice people who worked at the one in Minneapolis. And we went into the back storeroom. And so there were four employees, and a couple and their daughter. She was in town, I found out, for an ice skating competition. And the, there were metal doors on the storeroom, and we were there in this kind of trapped, hiding away in this active shooter situation. All I could think of were the situations in Uvalde and the situation at the Highland Park Parade. And is this a mass shooting, and am I actually present for one? Fortunately, I had called my wife, and I found out right as I was entering the back room that they had been able to exit the mall and were safe. And so I knew that they were okay, but my wife and kids were nervous for me. I felt really pretty safe. I figured even if the shooter is holding up in a store and the police are going to come in, I don't think they're going to go around to the Averieve and start shopping and trying to bust in, so felt pretty secure. And while we're, like, standing there, sitting there, we talk. The staff, the family, and we begin to joke around. In the 15-year-old daughter, she was like, you know, should we be, like, sitting on the floor? Are you guys taking this seriously enough? And her parents were kind of like, maybe you're right, but also, I don't know, like, we have to keep our heads with humor. And that raises the question of, when is it too quick to joke? When is it too early to be not super serious? And when it comes to mental health, my feeling is humor all the time. We want to not be mocking something that's serious for someone when they are sharing something that's important, but injecting some levity can only help with a situation that's anxiety-producing. Now, again, we didn't want to be so jocular and joking around that we're making a ruckus and (laughs) putting ourselves in danger. Of course, we would never want to do that. But I think it was the right move to try to find whatever kind of humor we could. We began to just talk to each other about our lives, to find out about one another. Because whether we were safe or not safe, that helped the anxiety decrease and the time to go more quickly. And so I think when you are in a tough situation, it is the wise thing to engage with people who are around you and to explore and to try to distract. Because we could not control the situation of how long the lockdown was going to go on. I was texting with my wife she was much more stressed than I was during the time period because, again, I think when we care about someone and we think that they might be in harm's way, I think it is more stressful than the person who's actually going through it. And so, you know, after about an hour and a half, it was determined that things were safe. It turned out that the shooting was between two groups of people who we're having you know, like an all-like argument or altercation. It wasn't some sort of mass shooting situation, and as far as we know, no one died, which thank God. Um, so at this point, while I'm recording, the shooter has not been you know, the person who was shooting has not been arrested or whatnot. And again, for me, I I think on this podcast there's not been any secret that I'm kind of anti-gun because, as we know, my rule is you're just not allowed to die, and so often when people have a tool, they want to use that tool. And an altercation, an argument, perhaps between two groups of people that without a gun involved might have led to punching or, God forbid, even a knife, but would not have ended up with shooting and a person making a decision that could have been irreversible. I think more people, my my sons were saying, you know, why does anyone even need to have these things? And there are people, especially if I was a a young woman in an area where I felt like I was unsafe and I couldn't rely on my fists to defend me. I might want to have a handgun to protect myself. And so I think, while I would say the person might be better off with pepper spray or a taser or something else like that, because we know more people are going to be injured with accidentally shooting someone who is a family member or somebody using that firearm to commit suicide or to make a suicide attempt is far more likely than actually successfully defending your home. But this isn't just about that. This this podcast I want to talk again about this idea of when is it okay to laugh. It became a bit of a rough week because we were able to go back with the kids and we talked about it. And I talked on an earlier podcast about how to talk to your kids about mass shootings and things like that. Well with my wife, we just debriefed what everyone's experience was when I got back to being with my family. And then we didn't just spend the rest of the night sobbing and shaking. We went out to dinner and you know, decided to try to have a good time. And I think that that's the best way to be, but always checking back with my kids to see if there was anything else they wanted to talk about. The next morning, unfortunately, I was greeted with a text that a good friend of mine uh, died from a heart attack the day before and only about 52 years old. And so he had not been in bad health. I mean, not a person who was heart healthy, smoked cigarettes, and was, you know, not exactly a big fan of vegetables. That being said, for anyone that young to die, it's kind of devastating. And I was at his mother's house today. And again, that question of, when is it too soon to laugh? And you have to read the room, but I think when we can enjoy humor and talking about positive memories, that is, there's, that's always the right time. And you know, they'll talk about an Irish wake, and often that implies alcohol or things like that. But it is also implied that we, what we want to do is tell the positive stories of a person. But also, I think it's crucial to be looking around the room and reading the body language of the people who are there and that's taking your cues from the people who were probably closest to the person who was impacted or the person who is impacted by the loss most and when they are ready to kind of joke then it's easier to pick that up and joke with it for myself and i've talked about this before grief usually finds me with shock and denial for a good long period of time and i don't try to push against that. I allow the person to be on my mind, so my friend Joe has been on my mind, and yet I don't try to fight against the denial, the feeling that he might just walk in the room. So when I think about now fantasy football, it's like, oh gosh, are we even going to do the league that we were in together this year? Or, you know, just the foods he liked, things like that. But I'm not disappointed that I'm not breaking down sobbing, because... There will be a time for that. I trust my body to give me that. Now, a question comes up. Sometimes we say in life, when it rains, it pours. So how do we make sure that we're giving enough time for the first negative event to breathe? So am am I able to allow being so close? Because again, with the shooting, I was maybe 30 yards away from the shooting, even though it was on a floor above me. But, you know, it's so the proximity to that. Am I allowing myself to feel? Or is that being stepped on by the more recent news, the the other negative news that comes along? And how can we make sure that we are giving time to process for both things? In my case, what I'll do, and again, just right now, I'm, I'm processing, I'm telling the stories, I'm podcasting about it. And I think allowing yourself to not just pretend that things didn't happen, that they didn't exist, that will help. One of my best friends is an ER doctor and he talks about how in the ER they do a pretty crappy job of making sure that the staff there, the, the nurses, the doctors, the CNAs really have time to process the horrific events and things that they see so often. Very frequently after a person dies in the ER, I mean there might be a form depending on the hospital that they work at or some sort of debrief form thing that they have to do, but really giving time for one another, they're just they're, that isn't granted. And so they might easily leave and then just go home and go to bed and not have any group processing or any other kind of way that they're checking in and just go to work the next day. And in some ways, and I think doctors in particular, are expected to just be tough as nails and above it all. But is that what we really want from our healthcare providers? People who are not hurt? by the death of a child or a surgery that, you know, where they, they put all this work in to try to stabilize someone, or even not a death, but just seeing someone horribly disfigured or in in agony. I want the people that are working on me to care, to let these things affect them. And I would hope that they'll be able to go back to work better if they've had their time to process their feelings, listen to them, realize that things are safe and they did the best that they could and then re-engage as opposed to just stuffing it down and ignoring it and building kind of a wall over it so that's the question is how can we make sure that we are making time for these emotions that we're processing each emotion in turn i am going to do more on cognitive processing therapy but i want not mix the two but i have been finding that For cognitive processing therapy, as I've said, I've made a brief introduction to, is designed for people with PTSD and trauma that just isn't going away. But they've got these cognitive behavioral therapy um, techniques. So it really is just a form of cognitive behavioral therapy. What is CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy? It's basically just using our thoughts to, to kind of learn how to process our feelings and not have our brain, in particular our amygdala, send tons of chemical response through to our body like we're in danger when actually we're not. So we're using our brain to challenge beliefs that are leading to a chemical response in our brain. And there are some really great tools that cognitive processing therapy gives, and that's what I've been encouraging some of my clients to use, and a lot of that is journaling. When I'm telling myself something, so a negative event happens. So if I'm that ER doctor, and, you know, or my brother-in-law was an ER nurse, And I remember him telling the story one time that on a Mother's Day, a woman came into the ER and her baby was non-responsive. And she had fallen asleep while breastfeeding her baby and accidentally smothered her baby. And her baby died. And for him to deal with that on a Mother's Day, obviously that had a big impact. And so again, for him, the question is, if he was having post-traumatic stress, if he was having anything about that, we might be wanting to say, okay, how can we challenge? What, what thoughts? So we have to antecedent this negative event, this horrifying situation. Now, what are my beliefs about that? I should have done something more. Somehow we should have been able to resuscitate that baby, whatever. If we're telling ourselves that no one should be hurt on my watch, how realistic and how helpful is that? and if it isn't and what feelings is that leading to if it's feeling leading to feelings of shame or if perhaps it's that we're telling ourselves there are going to be horrible events that are going to come in and i'm just powerless well so often these negative beliefs are extreme and so we want to say how can i moderate that extreme thought that i'm having into something that's more realistic and helpful and manageable and rephrase that into sometimes things are gonna be horrible and there's gonna be nothing I can do to control it. And that hurts and I hate it. But maybe I can offer compassion. Maybe that's the best thing I can offer sometimes. And that's gonna be different than telling myself I was useless, there's nothing I can do. Or that everyone that comes through the ER, I have to be able to help and save. Because those are not realistic and helpful. In a situation where we're experiencing fear, and anxiety it can be toxic if we have to respond with humor and I know some of you listening to this feel like you like it's impossible to just let uncomfortable emotions sit without laughing without joking and so we there's a balancing point like when is it okay to laugh when is it okay to joke it's when we're reading the situation and we're not using humor as just an escape but we are using it in part to say all right first of all is there anything positive i can do here maybe my sadness maybe my anger is the more appropriate emotion right now but if there's no useful function for my sadness or my anger here and now and i might be better served and everyone in my the situation might be better served with humor then that's okay and again it's trial and error it's a balancing act if you know yourself and you know I'm uncomfortable with anxiety, I'm uncomfortable with sadness, I'm likely to make a joke. Okay, well then (laughs) you might want to slow down on that and not be the first person. Let somebody else lead that. But again, I don't think you need to feel guilty if, if you're going to have some humor. So in my experience, looking for the opportunity to shift focus to what we can control is a good thing. Then we do, though, have to do our work and go back and make sure we're allowing ourselves to feel our feelings. On the whole, crazy as it sounds, it wasn't just a terrible week for me. I had a really good time with my family. I got to ride rides with my kids. I got to have some delicious meals. We got to play games in the car and laugh together. And it wasn't wrong for me to laugh and enjoy my kids and enjoy my wife, even though I Horrible things had happened that day. I don't owe it. No one's life would have been better. The person who got shot's life wouldn't have been better. My friend Joe and his family, they weren't hurt by me later going and enjoying a delicious meal. It, that does not make me insensitive or uncaring. So always asking, who, who's going to benefit and how can I do the right thing for everyone? My wife asked me today when I was going to go over to my friends, my, the family house, like, well, what should I tell the kids? Because I hadn't mentioned to them that my friend died of a heart attack. And I said, we don't need to hide it from them, but we also don't need to make them anxious or insecure about, because if they hear about young people dying of a heart attack, well, that could make them thinking more about that. So we're not going to hide anything, but there's nothing useful for them to do with this. So we're not going to sit them down and express it, whereas we did, Need to sit them down and share with them and process their emotions about you know the shots fired in the mall because they were there for that that affects them so it's always about how can this information be useful and how can it be processed so in closing remember humor is a good tool but it wants we want it to be not just reflexive and not essential and necessary for us to avoid emotions so hopefully my next podcast I'll have a guest on. I've got a couple different guests lined up. If you have questions for me, if you have topics that you want me to address, remember to email me at daniel.megler@live.com. If you have questions for Mariska, she does not have her own email. You have to go through me for those. And until we talk again, do whatever it takes to get you through this world. Just remember, you are not allowed to die. for something completely different. Sometimes there are no words. Sometimes we need love, care, support, and affection. We don't want to explain anything. For young people with mental health issues like anxiety, depression, OCD, autism, therapy is often not enough. PLOS for Patrick is an organization dedicated to connecting the love of animals to the people who need it the most. We facilitate that connection by assigning the seekers who contact us a wish granter who listens to their story and their needs and helps them acquire an animal or training or documentation so they can have their emotional support animal or esa in their apartment dorm condo etc we even have trained therapy dogs and handlers who bring dogs to people who can't have their own patrick rarely had the words to express his feelings and his needs but when he had the love of his dog Cece, he had the strength to persevere we want to provide every young person who could benefit that kind of love and support Please check out our website at pauseforpatrick.org. Find us on Facebook and Instagram. If you have a need, reach out. If you want to help become a volunteer, fill out the form on our website. If you can donate, great, but please at least spread the word so we can replace the suffering and silence that many people do with the smiles and security that only the love of an animal can bring.